Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast. The weekly talk show brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. Just a quick reminder, the next Midwest Marine Conference is going to be held actually next weekend on Saturday, March 25th at Weber's Inn in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, again, there's going to be some great guest speakers, so make sure that you go to the website and check out all the information if you're interested in going. The, the website for all that information is uh, masm.org, so head over there and check it out. Uh, also, Saltwater U2 Conference, uh, the educational program hosted by the Atlanta Reef Club, promoting preservation through education through a series of lectures and workshops. Uh, this year's event is going to be held at the Georgia Aquarium on May 5th, 6th, and 7th. Uh, so make sure you head over to saltwateru.com and check out uh, all the information about that too. Now we have a big topic for you this week, uh, so let's go ahead and get right into it. Now this week we're going to be talking about uh, sea anemones, specifically the reef sea anemones or clown hosting sea anemones. Uh, we're going to start with some basic anemone, anatomy, and that's a tongue twister, and move into selecting healthy anemones and finally some basic care needs and stuff like that and how you care for them in your marine aquariums. Uh, so let's get started with exactly what is an anemone. An anemone is a relatively simple creature. In fact, it's very simple. An anemone really isn't much more than a stomach and some tentacles. Uh, of course, I'm being a bit sarcastic, but really not much. Uh, you have the basic body of the anemone, the bottom area, which is referred to as the foot. Uh, and now on the other end, you have what you'll find the most noticeable, which are the tentacles. <clears throat> In the center of these tentacles is what you're going to find the mouth. Now we call it the mouth because this is where food is brought into the anemone, but as anyone who has ever overfed an anemone can tell you, this opening is also where waste is expelled from the animal. Talk about a potty mouth. And surrounding that mouth, as I mentioned, are many, many tentacles. Depending on the species, could tell you how many there's going to be. Now these tentacles are quite simple. Uh, they don't really wrap around things like serpent star legs, serpent starfish legs would, um, but they serve a similar purpose. See, these tentacles are packed with a specialized stinging cell called a nematocyst. These cells contain a small pouch of fluid that is highly pressurized. Uh, this fluid can be pressurized to the equivalence of about 200 or 2,500 pounds per square inch. And basically there's a little top on these cells that keep them sealed up. And when dinner comes floating around or swimming by and touches the tentacles, it triggers a cell to react. And this is where the fun starts. You can almost relate this next step to kind of like a high-powered air rifle. When the trigger is pulled, the cell lid pops open, and instead of a pellet or a BB being shot out, it's a small thread that is shot out. Uh, this thread is shot out and it penetrates, penetrates the, the prey, skin, or whatever it happens to be. Now, I know this sounds wimpy because, you know, it's really only this little thread, but remember, there are thousands of these stinging cells per square inch on the tentacles, and there's many, many tentacles. And most prey, that are they're really not much larger than this. So these threads can cause some major damage. Now, the extent of the damage can vary from one species to another. I'm not going to get into all the details now, but there are many different types of nematocysts. 
Some inject venom. Others have certain types of neurotoxins. Some places simply have like a, a glue-type structure that simply holds uh, the prey in place so it can be brought in and consumed. The details of this are really quite interesting, and I encourage you to go out and check out some other websites and learn about them if you're planning on keeping an anemone. While this information is not critical to keeping an anemone in your home aquarium, it will really help you understand the creatures much better, how they work and how they function. I will include some links into the show notes on places where you can get more information on this. See, now that we know what an anemone is, you probably want one. Actually, you probably want one before you even check this out, or maybe you have one. Well, if you don't, hold up a few more minutes. Let's talk about selecting the healthy specimen first. I know that you may think that we should talk about tank conditions first, uh, but actually in talking about selecting a healthy specimen, we're actually going to learn a little bit more about the anemone's physiology. Beyond that, getting a healthy specimen is probably one of the most important factors in whether you'll be successful in keeping one. It is extremely important to pick a healthy specimen because anemones have a very slow metabolism and they very often slowly waste away when they are sick or unhealthy. And by the time you notice this, you know, by the time you notice this problem, it may be even too late to do anything about it. Okay, so that horse is dead. You get it. Get a healthy specimen. So let's move on. All right, so let's go to the local fish store. Yeah, come on, it's a podcast. Get your MP3 player, burn into a CD, let's go. Oh, you have to drive there. Okay, I'll wait. Okay, is that long enough? Are you there yet? Well, if not, like I said, it's an MP3. Just pause it and start it back up when you get there. Okay, so we're at the local fish store. We're looking at anemones. What kind do you see? Well, you probably see the famous sea bay anemones, uh, and some likely some bubble tip anemones, and possibly some of the real colorful carpet anemones. You may also see others like the condies, uh, also known as the Atlantic anemones, but since these are not really reef or clown hosting anemones, I'm not really going to get into them a whole lot at this point. Now, these are all common anemones, but there are some different things to look for when you're picking them out. So the first thing we want to do is take a look at the mouth. Let's make sure that the mouth looks strong and it's sealed up. A mouth that is open, droopy, or otherwise sloppy is an indication that the specimen is not in real good health. Uh, the tentacles, this is, this is a little bit more tricky and involves you knowing the species first. Again, another great point on doing research before you actually get it. Uh, some anemones are supposed to have short, stubby tentacles, while others are really meant to have long, slender tentacles. Uh, so make sure that you know what you're looking at. Short tentacles in a species that should have long tentacles is a sure sign that it's not in good health and is already on its way or wasting away. Uh, so the next thing you want to look at, uh, kind of related to tentacles, is uh, something having to do with the bubble tip anemones. Now, you usually should see the bulbs or the bubbles on the end of these tentacles. Um, but if you are looking at a bubble tip species, it is not uncommon for them to ha to not have bulbs or bubbles on the end. In fact, once you get this anemone home and in your reef tank, uh, it's very common that these bubbles go away and you will probably never see them again. Uh, a lot of people do report that they can get them to come back. Uh, in other cases that they can't. Now there's, there is information out there, most of it's anecdotal, about feeding and lighting, uh, different changes there to get those bubbles to come back. But again, most of it's anecdotal and I've yet to see anything uh, scientific or anything proven that will get the anemones to reproduce the bubbles. I personally have two different bubble tip anemones, a green one and a rose one, uh, both in different tanks under different lighting, being fed different, the whole shot, and 
they still don't produce bubbles. You know, every once in a while I'll see some here and there, but uh, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason why. The next thing we want to talk about is the foot. Now let's take a look at the base of that anemone. Is it securely attached to something? No? All right, we'll move on. Another sign of an enemy being in poor health is one that you know basically has insecure footing. Uh, so make sure that you you know look at this and make sure it's got a good healthy foot. Uh, they will commonly be stuck to the sides of the glass uh, or to the substrate. Many local fish stores won't keep certain types of anemones in tanks with live rock. Uh, some you know like the bubble tip anemone tend to bury their foot into the crevices when in the in the rock. Um, and are you know once they're attached there they're really attached and it can be very damaging if you try to remove them from those rocks uh, so you'll commonly see these types of anemones stuck to the glass and so forth that the sea bays carpets you usually see those buried in the sand uh, are stuck if there's a, th a thick coarse substrate they'll they'll be stuck on there uh, so you think that's about it mm, not so fast there's a couple more things that come to mind when we're looking at these uh, next thing I want to mention here is reaction. It's important to notice an anemone's reaction when it's given food or when it's touched. Uh, it should react quickly and promptly. Uh, if the response is slow or non-existent, again, that's a sign that you're dealing with an unhealthy anemone. Uh, you can reach in, you can have, you know, have the person at the fish store reach in, touch it, give it a little piece of food. Um, either way, no matter what happens, it should respond quickly. Uh, it should pull its tentacles in, it should grab the food. You'll know when you see it. If you don't see much of a response at all, again, you're dealing with an unhealthy anemone. Now, anemones come in all different colors of the rainbow. They are really beautiful. But notice I said color. They all have color. This is an issue that's common with sea bay anemones. You see that sea bay anemone in that tank over there? Yep, the one that you had your eye on. What does it look like? It's probably bright white with bright pink or purple tips. Looks like a great one to get, doesn't it? No. Anemones should not be white. Many people that get sea bay anemones often choose the pretty white ones in the tank and totally skip over those dull gray and brown ones. Well, these white ones are the ones that have expelled all of their symbiotic algae due to shipping stress. These algae are the same algae that are found in corals and are known as zooxanthellae, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a couple minutes. Now, when getting a, a sea bay anemone, you really want to get the dark gray or brown one as these are the healthy ones because they still have the symbiotic algae which is important to their feeding. Okay so now that you've found a healthy specimen let's see if you're going to be able to meet its needs and be able to care for it. Make sure you listen to this part before you actually grab that anemone and go pay for it. So on that note let's talk about tank conditions and caring for your anemone. The anemones that we're talking about in this show specifically are reef creatures. That means that you're going to, if you're going to have one, you must have a reef tank. Now, don't get this confused. This doesn't mean you have to have a tank full of corals and stuff, but does mean that you are going to have to meet certain uh, conditions in the tank. You need good lights, you must maintain low nutrients, and you have to have good rock work, good circulation, and a good filtration, biological or otherwise. As I mentioned above, anemones, like corals, have a symbiotic relationship with a certain type of algae. This algae is called zooxanthellae. Actually, this uh, algae actually lives in the tissues of the anemone, just like in coral. And just like in coral, the zooxanthellae uses light to produce food. Zooxanthellae are like miniature food factories. 
and almost always produce more food than they need for themselves. This excess food is then passed to its host in the form of sugars, which are then metabolized by its host. Why did I give you all that? Well, it's going to help stress why lighting is so important. Anemones need good lighting. Not always super strong lighting, but you don't want to keep them under regular normal output fluorescent bulbs. How much light each one's going to need is really going to vary from species to species, but at the least you're going to need a good set of power compact lights. Uh, these lights should contain either 50-50 bulbs or a good balance of full spectrum bulbs and actinic bulbs. Power compact bulbs can be sufficient for some like the bubble tip anemones but lights as strong as metal halides might be required if you're going to be looking into one of those big colorful carpet anemone species uh, other species like the sea bay anemone usually fall somewhere in the middle some people report success with them under power compacts and others you know keep them under t5s or vhos or something uh, so again you take a good look at the species you're going to be keeping and making sh make sure that you can actually meet the light needs of that that animal. Now this next topic goes hand in hand with lighting and that's feeding. Anemones can get, you know, enemy, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, anemones cannot get all of their food from zoos and deli, which means that they are not autotrophic. Uh, they are what's referred to as heterotrophic in that they need supplemental feeding. You know, so what does an anemone eat? Well, personally I found the cheapest and easiest thing to feed them is raw table shrimp. Like most marine inhabitants in the tank, they love table shrimp. And this is a fairly healthy food choice for them. But they'll also readily take to clam, squid, silversides, mycid, brine shrimp, bloodworms, or just about any other meaty food that they can snatch up. There are reports of some anemones that will, you know, will not eat some of these items. You know, so start with the table shrimp, if I, as I've always had good success with that, and then go ahead and try others. Soon enough, with a little bit of time, you're going to figure out exactly what the anemone likes. So now that we know what the anemone eats, how often do we feed it? Well, there's no easy answer to this, and it really depends on the type of anemone and also the type of lighting. See, if you're lacking a bit on lighting, you can make up for this, you know, by more supplemental feeding. Now, don't take this the wrong way. Lighting is very important, but regular feeding can help ensure this, the, you know, that you keep a healthy specimen. Feeding usually occurs uh, as frequently as every two to three days and, it is free, and infrequently as every two weeks. It really depends on how much the anemone can catch and absorb from the water column, as they're also known for doing this regularly and the fact that they'll really, they'll, they'll catch any free-floating food particles uh, and various planktons from the water. The next thing that we're going to talk about real quickly is the actual placement of the anemone in the tank. Now this is going to be important. You want to make sure that you have a decent amount of rock work, rock work and you want to understand the type of anemone you're going to be keeping. First of all, let's start off with something like the long tentacle anemone or the bubble tip anemone. Uh, the bubble tip anemone is something that I'm familiar with as I've kept a couple of them uh, quite successfully for quite extended periods of time. I still have them. Now, the bubble tip anemones are a type of anemone that is going to attach to the rocks itself. They usually like to bury their foot into crevices and holes in the rock, and once they're there, they're usually permanently attached. Uh, not permanently in the fact that they'll never come off, but you're really not going to get them off if you want them to come off. Now, bubble tip anemones also show signs of liking to have that foot in a shaded area, and then having the tentacles in the mouth of the anemone come out in like a cup 
and collect light. So placement is really important. You want to make sure that you have rocks with lots of nooks and crannies and caves and stuff like that. And if you set them in that area, you'll usually find that they will attach in there and be able to, you know, in a position where they can come out, collect light, and then come back in and shade themselves from the light as needed. So that's really important to kind of make sure that you can set up that type of environment there for them. Now, there's, you know, for other ones like carpet anemones or sea bay anemones, these types of anemones are more bottom dwelling. And what they're going to prefer is they're going to actually want to sit on the substrate and, you know, they'll bury their foot into there. Now, as far as placement goes, you have really two, two easy options that you can do. You can place the anemone on the substrate at the base of a rock. What will happen is the anemone will start to work its foot through the substrate and attach to the rock underneath the substrate. This will provide a good, solid footing for them. Now, another option that you have, if for some reason you wanted to keep it away from the substrate, uh, a common trick that you can do is actually use a, a tile, uh, a floor tile, and bury that into the substrate with the smooth surface down and the rough surface facing up. Bury that into the surface, you know, a couple inches down, and set your anemone in, you know, on that, and then kind of move the sand and cover it all back up. And what will happen is the anemone, uh, hopefully, will attach to that that uh, tile that you put in there, and will find itself a new happy little home there. Uh, so those are two different types of placements in there. Now, something that commonly happens, and you really need to work, you know, keep an eye out for when placing an anemone in your tank. Uh, anemones are mobile. They're, they, they can move around. If you put them in, in a position where they're not getting enough water flow or they're getting too much water flow, uh, too much or not enough light, what they're actually going to do is start moving about the tank looking for a happy new home. Now, this is okay sometimes, but it, it really stresses the fact that you need to pay close attention when you first get your anemone, no matter what kind of anemone it is. Uh, anemones like bubble tips are very, very, very common for actually walking across the, the, the rock work up the sides of the glass, uh, but also sea bay anemones and other types can do this. Now, uh, in my experience, the sea bay anemones aren't going to be as common to walk up the glass, but what will happen, especially in a tank with high current, they'll become detached from wherever they're, they've been sitting, and the current from your tank will actually cause them to float through the tank. Now, this presents really one major problem for your anemones. First of all, uh, it's, well, I guess two, it's not healthy for them to be floating around the tank like that. And one of the main reasons to that is those power heads and everything that you, you have in there. What'll, you know, basically, as they're floating around, or like with the bubble tips, they're walking up the walls, they're going to get caught in the intakes of these power heads, pumps, uh, closed loop systems, whatever you have. There's no protecting yourself from this, really. Uh, unless you have sponge filters covering every intake, which most people don't do because it's such a major res flow restrictor and nitrate factory that you don't want to do that. So really, no matter what you have in your tank, whether you have a closed loop, whether you have a hang-on-back filter, whether you have just power heads, uh, overflow boxes, that and everything's in your sump, doesn't matter what you have. Everything in your tank that generates water movement has to suck water in through something. And that water is sucked in at a pretty high speed. So you always have the potential of a place for your anemone to get sucked into. Now, they may look big, but remember, this is, you know, again, it's, it's tissue that's inflated with water. And when they get into that position where they're getting sucked into that, you'd be amazed at how much of that anemone can actually get sucked up that small little power head. The problem is when they get sucked up into these, um, 
you know, especially with the power heads, they're going to get inside of those, and that little impeller inside there is going to chew them up, and it's going to be very, very, very hazardous to them. So again, when you're placing the anemone in your tank, try to find a good place for it. Uh, place it in the rock work, place it in the substrate, wherever it's supposed to be. Uh, hopefully it'll find a happy little home and won't want to wander around too much. But uh, in the event that it does, you should be there right away, you know, getting, you know, being able to, to move it back and keep it away and keep it out of danger. So that's going to about wrap up this topic. Um, I hope I covered most of the questions that you had about anemones. Uh, of course, the TalkingReef.com forums, we have a special section, a special forum in there for anemones. So if you have any other questions about anemones, I do have a fair amount of experience dealing with a, a few different species of anemones. And with all of the uh, experience that we have in the community, uh, I'm sure we can help with any type of questions that you may have. So if there's something that I didn't specifically cover about um, picking your anemones, the different types of anemones, I know I didn't get into a lot of the different species uh, I, I didn't just for time's sake, um, you know, but caring, feeding, lighting, all that different stuff, by all means, head over to the forums, post your question in there. We'll be right there right away to help you out. And now for the tip of the week. Now, this is going to be uh, a special tip of the week. You all ready for this one? Okay. This week's tip of the week is when doing a podcast, Use more than a couple hours to prepare for your show. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I have been so busy this week. I have not been able to round up a good tip of the week for you. Um, but I'm going to work on that a little bit better next week. Uh, there's just been so many things going on. So, anyways, if you're out there doing a podcast, don't cram. It's not a test. Prepare better. <laughs> and hopefully I'll take my own advice next week. So, with that said, let's just move right on to the question of the week. Now, this week I'm going to do something a little bit different for the question of the week. Normally what I'll do is I'll pull a question from the forum from somebody specific and talk about it. Now, what I'm going to do this week, um, because we're talking about anemones, is I'm going to do something a little bit different. This is a question that I see come up all the time. It's come up in our forums, and I see it come up all the time in other forums and in other discussion groups all over the place. Uh, and it does relate to the last thing that I was talking about in the show about anemone placement. Now, a common thing that happens is these anemones, commonly bubble tip anemones, uh, get caught in the pumps, power heads, uh, intakes, or whatever in your tank. And they get damaged, they get cut up. Uh, so the question that comes up is, what do I do? So for this week's question, what do we do with a, an anemone that's been damaged are injured by a power head or in a pump intake of some sorts. Now, the first thing that you want to do, needless to say, and I hope I don't, this goes without saying, but you want to disconnect the pump, shut it off, and you know, basically you're going to want to pull the pump off, the intake off, whatever you can, try to disconnect it so you can get it into a workable position. The next thing is you want to get something that you can use. Um, like I mentioned back in the previous show, you want to try to avoid physically handling them with your bare hands. Um, this has happened to me, uh, and basically what I had did is I pulled it off and used uh, a wooden spatula. Uh, that used a wooden spatula to kind of slowly pull the anemone away from the pump and away from the, the grids, the grates on the, on the power header on the intake, uh, and get it to a point where you can get it out of there. You need to be very careful because you really need to minimize any type of damage or further damage that can occur to it. Uh, again, you know, going back to the other comment, it's very, very important. Let's try to avoid this altogether by carefully observing 
uh, new anemones in the tank. But, you know, again, this does happen on occasion. So once we get the anemone out of the power head, we're gonna, it's going to drop back down to the bottom of the tank. Now at this point, go ahead and you know put the, the power head back and go ahead and reattach it, whatever you got to do. But you're basically left with a, a very injured uh, sea anemone. Now this can the extent of the injury can vary. Um, I did have one that you know I've had a couple different types of injuries. Uh, I actually had one that had pinned itself behind uh, my heater and actually burnt half of it right clear off. And it had when I had got it out from back there and I got it back in the substrate, it had actually dropped half of its body. So either way, what we're talking about is dealing with these these injuries. Now, honestly, with these bubble tip anemones, um, they're, they're more resilient than you think, and they are very capable of healing themselves. A couple things that you want to watch out for is you want to make sure that the foot is not damaged. Uh, if the foot is damaged, that can be very serious to them. And you also want to make sure, you know, the first, next thing you want to look for is to see if the mouth is still solid. In other words, it's it's a complete circle. When the mouth is damaged or if the cut or injury uh, opens up the mouth in a way where the opening is, is now an open-ended circle, it's not closed anymore, that can have serious effects uh, on consequences on the anemone because they can no longer easily take in food. So if that is the case uh, and you do have a damage that involves the mouth or, or whatnot, we can still recover. So don't, you know, you worry a little bit, but not not a whole lot. Uh, so, okay, so we've got the anemone. It's damaged. We've inspected it. We've come to the determination that we're going to, you know, we're going to try to keep this thing alive, uh, which hopefully you will do no matter what. So, honestly, th the first thing that you want to do is, you know, at this point, is if you actually have a clownfish hosting in that anemone, you want to try to separate that clownfish because clownfish have, are notorious for going in to the anemone and thrashing around, and this is going to really impede its ability to heal. Uh, what will happen is they'll commonly close themselves back up, wrap themselves back around, and start reforming, you know, resealing up any open uh, wounds or injuries. With the clownfish in there thrashing around, it's going to really, it's going to reopen those those injuries, and it's going to uh, not be very good for them. So try to separate any clownfish stuff like that from them. The next thing is really leave it alone. Um, you know, don't try to do a whole lot. Let it try to heal on its own. Uh, there are some things that we can do. Uh, if its mouth is still in one piece, <laughs> I know it sounds bad, but if it can still take in food, feed it often. Feed it every um, every couple days. Even if this is one that you only fed every week or two, feed it a lot. And not a, not a lot of food at once. Feed it small amounts often is, is basically what I'm getting at. So you want to just take a small amount of food, you know, every day, every couple days, even a couple times a day, you know, daily, just a small amount of food. Now, normally when you're feeding an enemy, you're going to give it, you know, a nice chunk of food. I mean, basically the size of its mouth so it can take the food in. Now, when we're talking about an injured anemone, you don't want to give them that much, just a little bit. Uh, but in my experience, feeding the anemones frequently, uh, helping to give them the extra energy to recover from these injuries is, is a real benefit. So make sure you feed them frequently, and that's going to help a lot. Now, the other thing that I have found, now again, this is one of those things that might fall under anecdotal. I'm not really sure, uh, but... I have a tendency when I have injuries like that, I will dose a little bit extra, not a lot because it's one of those things you want to be careful, but I'll dose a little bit extra iodine and kind of raise the iodine level. Uh, I've, I've kind of, I've had good success doing it. 
I have pretty much always done it, so I can't say that you know without it, it's going to be bad. Um, but iodine is one of those things that can help prevent infections in there. So, you know, again, it's something that I've done. So, just kind of a recap of this tip. Um, you know, this this kind of question that comes up all the time. If the anemone is damaged in a pump or power hedge, disconnect the pump, turn it off. Remove the anemone from that. Separate it from any type of hosting fish, you know, any fish that might be hosting in it. Um, then, you know, feed it. Feed it frequently. Small amounts all the time. Just, you know, keep it keep it feeding. Uh, if it is feeding, you know, it's going to be a sure sign that it's on its way to recovery, and that's a good sign. Now, if the damage is extreme, you might want to wait a couple days before you start this feeding process just to kind of give it a chance to recover, uh, but it's usually, you know, a good thing to do, you know, get it feeding. Uh, the next thing that, like I said, that I do, again, I'm not, I have no proof to really back this, but uh, dosing iodine in there has seemed to have, uh, you know, somewhat positive results on it. Uh, I have had uh, bubble tip anemone, like I said, that was severely, severely injured. Uh, if you guys are interested, I can post some pictures about that in the forums, and you guys can see it was very injured. And, uh, you know, this was about a year ago, and it is so far tripled in size and is very, very, very healthy, uh, is hosting my uh, my spawning pair of clownfish. And any of you that breed clownfish or have these types of clownfish, uh, the true perculas, you know how, how violent they can be in the, in the anemones, especially during some of these rituals. Uh, that's pretty much it for the tip of the week. Uh, you know, and if you got any more questions or if you happen to have one of these injured anemones and you want some more information, again, just like everything else, head over to the forums and uh, we'll help you out with it. Post your question in there and we'll see what we can do for you. And we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show this week with the community update. Uh, one quick reminder, I just want to let everybody know that the February Tank of the Month winner was Kevin, also known as Kevin McGee on the forums. Make sure you check out the Talking Reef contest form to get all the details on that and get a very detailed write-up on his tank with all the information about it and lots and lots of pictures. That was actually just posted Thursday evening. So if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you head over there and check that out. The next thing I wanted to do is I wanted to send out a very, very special thank you to all of the forum members that have been out there helping promote the show. When I started the show, I was very serious about not going out and doing a whole bunch of you know self-promotion and stuff like that. I told myself that if the show was good enough, that people would talk about it, and you guys have. Uh, just a little bit of information. Uh, first of all, you know we are 10 shows away from show number 50. You know, I never would have thought that we got this far, but it's we got this far. We're almost to number 50, and everything's just been going absolutely great. Uh, we're actually going into the ninth month of doing the podcast, which is just wonderful. The forums have now passed over 400 members, and we have more than 5,000 posts in our forums. It's just amazing how, how quickly all this stuff has grown. So I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that's been out there talking about the show, telling other people about it, getting other people to listen. It's just been great. And a lot of these people have been coming around, sticking around, and checking out the podcast. So uh, again, thank you to everybody. It's just been, it's been wonderful. So let's, uh, like I said, 10 more shows away from show number 50. We're almost there. Uh, another quick thing is I wanted to let everybody know about the video podcast that I've been doing. I sent out the one. Uh, some of you have may notice that that caused a little bit of problems. I've got some technical issues with the server and the bandwidth that I've got to get addressed before I put out the, the other one. But I do have two more that are sitting here waiting to go out. But I do have some bandwidth issues on the server that I've got to get addressed because those files are just huge. 
Uh, so let me get those addressed. I'm really, really working hard to get those out, and I just love all the wonderful feedback that I got on the on the last one that went out. It's just been excellent, and I really want to do more. So stay tuned. Those will be coming. I will find some way to get those out to y'all. Uh, and the last but not least, uh, as with the rest of the show's uh, listener call-in, uh, don't forget to call in any questions, introductions, or comments to the voicemail line. It's quick and easy. Just pick up the phone and dial area code 586-486-3357, and we'll get you played on the air if you want. So make sure you call that in and, and leave your information. And that's going to it's going to pretty much wrap up the show for this week. So hope you all enjoyed it and learned something. I'll talk to you all next week.